on walking by the Spirit, so I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're trying to uh, in, be intentional about living our Christian lives in dependence on God, the Holy Spirit. And that's what the series is about. And we are turning now to this topic of spiritual gifts. That, that'll be about our next six or seven messages at least. And uh, today we're going to begin with chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians because that's the beginning of three chapters on this subject. So why don't we begin by reading 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 13, then I'll pray. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Let's pray. Well, we expect to. <clears throat> we expect to drink again today, Lord, of your spirit. You poured him out on the church because, because you want us to understand you and know you and experience your very presence among us. These are your gifts to your children, and so we thank you for that. And we ask that despite some distractions today, you would get our full attention and your word would get our full attention and you would stir us up to, to faith, to all that you have to give us in what we call the spiritual gifts. And we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I should start with an illustration, and I suppose my recent injury should be a good place to start. <clears throat> suppose you came to, or you didn't come to church today, maybe you couldn't make it, but a family member got here. They go through the whole thing, they come home, and they, they say something like this, they bring a report. They say, guess what, you're never going to believe this. Pastor Mark injured his back and he could barely walk. But a bunch of people laid hands on him and prayed. And when they prayed, his back was healed completely and he was fine. You'd probably go, wow, 
You know, that's exciting. That's, that's out of the ordinary, isn't it? That's God's power at work. Let me change the scenario a little bit. <clears throat> Let's say you don't make it to church. Your family member makes it to church, and they bring this report back. Very excited. Guess what? You're never going to believe this. Pastor Mark taught from the Bible. Really? Really? He opened 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he explained things. <laughs> you wouldn't get the same reaction. I don't, that, you're not going to hear that. Why? Because that's something that we expect to happen. We're used to that. We think that's ordinary. That's commonplace. That's just what happens when we get together. So I just make that contrast to, to point out one thing. It is common for us to think that there are certain things that are God's spirit moving and other things that are just ordinary. They're skills. They're things that need to be done. But we wouldn't say that's the spirit. We wouldn't say that's God's power. It's only certain things that we associate that with, things like healings. The Corinthians thought that too. They were pretty charged about a certain few gifts that might be fitting into that more spectacular or miraculous or unusual category. And they weren't all that enthusiastic about some other ones. And Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 to correct that. He wrote to expand their view of what it is that's actually spiritual, what is actually God's power, and to bring the Corinthians and us into appreciating the whole spectrum, and particularly the things that we consider ordinary. And so that's what this message is about. It's, it's to go back and look at what Paul has said, what God has said, about some of the gifts that we consider ordinary and realize freshly that they're not ordinary, that God is in it, that God's power comes to us through the ordinary as well as the miraculous. And so the reason for that is that we'll appreciate it, we'll recognize it, we'll give God glory for it, and we'll encourage one another when we see it, when we see God working in a broad way. So that's what this message is about. Let's start with the context. The Corinthians wrote Paul a letter, and they had a whole bunch of questions for him. So back in chapter 7, it says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So they wrote him a letter and they have opinions about things, about doctrine and practices. They have questions about things. And so ch starting in chapter 7, he's, he's going through all their issues and he's starting to answer those things one by one. And he gets to chapter 12 and he begins to talk about spiritual gifts, because they have a question about that. Verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So he's going to inform them. Now in the Greek, spiritual gifts there is really more generic. It means matters of the Spirit, or things that have to do with the Spirit of God at work. The Corinthians were very interested in that topic. Because this is a church that's got people who speak in tongues and people who prophesy and there's miracles. And they're very interested in the Holy Spirit's activity 
And so they write to Paul about that. And he says, now, I don't want you to be uninformed. And he recognizes that they actually are uninformed. That this is going to take not just a couple paragraphs, but three whole chapters <laughs> to really set this right in the church. Um, and fortunately, we're the beneficiaries of it as we're thinking about spiritual gifts and, and opening ourselves up to more of what God has for us. Thankfully, we have whole, three whole chapters specifically about that. Now, we don't know what their specific questions were, but we can tell from his response what Paul's concerned about, that they overvalued a couple of gifts greatly, and they undervalued some other ones. So he has chapter 14, which is all about tongues and prophecy. It's all about what is this, how do you use it so that you benefit the church. So a whole chapter on those two things, because that seems to be where they were getting it wrong, where they were misunderstanding stuff. Um, so that's what it is. They undervalued some gifts. They overvalued some other ones. So that's what he's going to address. Now, the way that he addresses it is instructive. <clears throat> he doesn't just go straight to, well, you know what? You think this about prophecy, but it's actually this. Or you think this about speaking in tongues, but it's actually this. He doesn't even go there right away. First, he starts with big picture. First, he starts with spiritual gifts in general. He wants to lay a foundation about what they're all about. And so that's where we start. Here's the first point. Salvation is the spiritual gift that all believers have. And it is the most important. Salvation is the spiritual gift that all believers have, and it is the most important. So that comes from verses 2 and 3. He says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, you want to know more about matters of the Spirit? You want to know about how the Spirit is at work in people? Well, here's the big one. The most important thing the Holy Spirit does in people is change what they think about Jesus. That's the big one. If you are in the Spirit of God, if God has invaded your life, if he's taken up residence within you, you will not say, Jesus is accursed. You will say, Jesus is Lord. The primary and the most certain evidence that the Spirit is working in a person is that you move from rejecting Jesus to embracing him as your Lord. It's a heart change. It's a deep internal work that affects everything else. It affects what you say. It affects how you live because what's changed is your allegiance. You used to be all about self. You used to be led away to, to dumb idols, mute idols, he calls them. You used to be going after the world, looking for your happiness there. But Jesus, well, he's just not that important. That's what you used to be. But now if the Holy Spirit has invaded your life, now Jesus is Lord. Now Jesus is Master. Now you're a disciple who's following Him. Now you put your trust in Him for your happiness, for your future, 
for your eternal future. That's the amazing thing. That, that's the genuinely important spiritual activity is when that happens to you. It's easy to miss that when we start talking about spiritual gifts because we can be just all caught up in the questions like how many are there and have some stopped and are some still going and you know what exactly are they so that I can know okay that's that one and we can get all involved in the details about spiritual gifts and Paul would say hey don't lose the forest for the trees salvation is the greatest working of the Spirit. That's the miracle. That's the power of God. It comes through the preaching of the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. It's a miracle that anybody puts their trust in Jesus as Savior. It's a miracle to one day wake up and say, you know what? I am a sinner. I have offended God, and I deserve punishment. And there's a Savior that He has sent to take my punishment and to forgive me. That's a miracle. It takes the power of God to raise the dead. And that's what we are as unbelievers, dead in our trespasses. So it's a reminder, friends, the most significant thing about us is not whether we speak in tongues or not. It's not whether there are healings or not. It's not whether there's prophecy or not. It's whether or not you follow Jesus as Lord. And if you do, good news, God's very spirit is in you. No one says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you're saying that, if that's your confession, Amazing things have happened. God has come to you. God has revived you. God has given life. We might take that for granted. We might think being a Christian is ordinary, but it's not. It's a miracle of regeneration, being born again by the Spirit. That's the best sign and wonder there is. So that's where Paul starts. I could start talking about the details of prophecy and tongues and so forth, but you need to know this one first. The rest is icing on the cake. Here's his second point. God also gives a wide variety of other gifts to believers. So he does give a whole bunch of things to his people that you can see different activities, different abilities, different acts and that's all God's grace to us. That's his gift to us as believers in Jesus. And so, yes, those exist. So let's talk about those. Let's talk about your question. Let's talk about spiritual gifts. So he says in verses 4 to 7, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So you'll notice there that Paul uses more than just the word gifts to talk about things that have to do with the Spirit of God at work. He also talks about service and he talks about activities. 
Those are all descriptive words that highlight different aspects of the Spirit's working in people. So gifts, that communicates the gracious, undeserved nature of what it is that we can do. Totally gift, not earned. He just gives it. So gift is a word that captures that. Service probably highlights the benefits to us. When you're being served, good things are happening. We like that. Activities probably talks about the active and dynamic nature of it. God's doing stuff. <laughs> it's not passive. He's active. He's on the move. Aslan is on the move, we say. There's activity going on. But Paul's catch-all word that covers all of it is manifestations of the Spirit. Manifestations means displays, things you can see. You point to and you go, that's happening. They're displays. So when we think about abilities like teaching or speaking in tongues or prophecy, those are displays of the Spirit. He said manifestations of the Spirit. So we're not supposed to look at each other and say, wow, you're an amazing person. Look what you can do. <laughs> We're supposed to look at what each, each of us is doing and say, you know what? The Spirit of God is at work here. The Spirit is doing something through you, which is encouraging to you if you're the one that He's doing it through. <clears throat> I'd like to know that the Holy Spirit, God Himself, is doing something as I'm doing something. Because <laughs> that means that it's a really important thing. <laughs> if God's involved in it, so it is for our encouragement, but ultimately it's for God's glory. They're manifestations of the Spirit. They're ways God is showing up. God is showing Himself. And there's a lot of them. So in this paragraph, Paul is addressing their misinformation. He says, yes, there's a variety in how the Spirit works in people. There's Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. And then he goes on, he lists several of these. And some of them seem ordinary. Like they could be just skills, they could be just qualities that people have. And he mentions some uh, utterances of wisdom and knowledge and faith. Those three words we don't think of as unusual. All Christians have faith, right? We should have some kind of wisdom. We're all, we all have some kind of knowledge, so those terms don't really strike us as, whoa, amazing, knowledge. Never heard of that before. <clears throat> they seem more ordinary. There's other gifts later in the chapter. He mentions teachers, helping, administrating. We think administration, we think, you know, business office, something like that. That's What could be less spiritual than being in a cubicle administrating, you know? <laughs> that's, the, that's the image it picks up in my mind. So there's ordinary things in here. It seems ordinary. This isn't a complete list. We have other lists and other letters, like Romans chapter 12. Talks about gifts of service, exhortation, giving, leadership, acts of mercy. Most of those activities are what we'd probably call ordinary or normal. It's just what Christians do. But then Paul also lists gifts that would probably be considered extraordinary or unusual or miraculous. He lists gifts of healing, the working of miracles, prophecy, various kinds of tongues, and interpretation. So 
There's a lot of variety in spiritual gifts. In fact, we probably don't have the full list. We have a bunch of different lists in Scripture. None of them are exactly the same. So they're probably, they probably cover the spectrum, but they're not everything. We could probably list things, too, that are not given in Scripture. But there's a big, big variety, right? We know this. That's pretty obvious. But here's what Paul wants us to see. Here's what he wants the Corinthians to know. He wants you to know. The source of all these things is exactly the same. It is the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God who empowers them all in everyone. That's Trinitarian language there. God, Spirit, Lord, those are, those are, those are Father, Son, Spirit, language. The whole Trinity is behind all the spiritual gifts. God is three in one, and He's totally involved in what it is that you have. What manifestation he's given you. God is totally behind that. In other words, you can't say that prophecy is a display of the Spirit, but administration is not. You can't say that speaking in tongues is more spiritual than acts of mercy. You can't say that the Holy Spirit is absent from the church just because you don't have any healings. You can't say that because it is the same God who empowers every single one of those gifts in everyone. The teacher in children's ministry who is successfully transferring knowledge of God to five-year-olds is displaying the Spirit of God. The woman who's patiently consoling a struggling sister in the Lord with her acts of mercy is displaying the Spirit's power. So is the person who gives generously to worthy gospel ministry. These ordinary things are manifestations of the Spirit. These are displays of God's power. Here's why it matters that we see that. One reason is because it teaches us something about the character of God. God is the God of the ordinary, <laughs> not just the extraordinary. But God is behind the ordinary. In fact, the ordinary stuff is mostly what we have every day. <laughs> and God is in that. God likes to work in ways that aren't flashy, that don't always get noticed, that are taken for granted. That's the humility of God that we're to imitate. Just look at who he chose to be his disciples. Blue-collar workers. <laughs> Fishermen. Minimum wage guys. <laughs> who weren't especially bright either. And, and yet, that's who he uses to change the world. Look at us. I don't think any of us are on the Forbes 500 list of the richest people in the world. We don't have a cable network show of our own. We don't have a million followers on Facebook. We're ordinary. And yet God chose us. He chose us to be saved, and He chose us to be the means that other people get saved. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 makes clear. Be encouraged by this description of believers, of you, 
you put your trust in Christ. Here's what Paul says about us. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In other words, God's choice of ordinary you and me is his strategy to make his power known. (laughs) It's his strategy to build his church. It's his strategy to save people out of darkness, to do the impossible thing of getting somebody else to go from lame idols to Jesus is Lord. His strategy is for you to be in that process. <laughs> you, ordinary you, not of normal birth, no, not of noble birth, not, not powerful, strong people, but ordinary people. That's how God wants to get it done. He's the God of the ordinary. That's why I love the story of Ruth and Boaz so much. You remember that story. We preached on it once upon a time. Ruth is this immigrant. She's from Moab. She's a widow. She goes with her mom to Israel. So she's not even one of God's chosen people of the nation of Israel. She's an outsider and a widow and a woman. So in that culture, she's basically the low and the despised in the world. So she's out picking grain in a field because you're supposed to leave some grain for people. That was part of the ethic that God gave us in the Old Testament. Don't, don't glean your fields all the way to the edges. Leave some for the disadvantaged. So she's taking advantage of that, picking some grain. And the bachelor farmer, Boaz, catches her out there, sees her out there, falls in love. They get married. They have a baby. That's the story of Ruth. Nothing extraordinary happened, right? They're just doing their thing. They're just being faithful to God and faithful to each other, and they have a baby. But not so ordinary, right? Because that baby had a baby, and that baby had a baby, and that one had a baby, and that baby was King David. And down on through the generations, the son of David, Jesus. Who's to say that the ordinary is an extraordinary? God uses the ordinary things to do extraordinary things, including what we consider the ordinary gifts. <clears throat> the longer I live and the longer I pastor, the more amazing I think it is just to be an ordinary person who loves Jesus and keeps on serving in non-spectacular ways. If you can find somebody who's just faithful, who just hangs in there and does what they do for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, that's a miracle. That's a display of God's power. God loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people and ordinary means. 
There are spiritual gifts that seem ordinary, but God is behind that gift because he's the God of the ordinary. Your gifts, even if they seem unimportant or unimpressive, are manifestations of the Spirit. That leads to another reason why it's important for us to see these ordinary gifts as genuine displays of God's power. It's to value the contribution that each person is making in the church. To value that contribution that everybody is making in the church, especially the so-called ordinary gifts, which often get overlooked and unappreciated. In verses 12 and 13, Paul introduces the analogy of the church being like a body, the body of Christ, and so he goes on for most of the chapter about that illustration. And all the different people with their different gifts have a different part to play designed by God for the health of the whole body. So he he likens the body to having arms and feet and eyes and so forth. You would never look at your feet and say, you know what, that's unimpressive. I don't think I need those. (laughs) Nobody, Nobody notices them. They're always covered up anyway, and they smell. So I just don't want feet, you know. His point of the body illustration is, you know what, the stuff that you consider ordinary or unimpressive or less presentable is the way he says, those are actually very important. You would miss your feet if you didn't have them. That's what the body's like. God has composed it in such a way that there's stuff that looks looks less impressive and stuff that looks more impressive, but all of it is necessary. All of it is his doing. All of it is part of what it means to be in the body of Jesus Christ. Nothing is throwaway. No gift is throwaway. And you all have different ones. So let's value it like we would value our own feet. All right? To not value it is to like cut off your feet, cut off your hands. But let's be grateful that God has arranged it this way. And let's point that out in one another. Let's not gravitate towards the public gifts or or the unusual thing that happens. Let's train ourselves to see with God's eyes What's really going on in your Sunday school teacher or your person who's counting money or, or caring for kids or whatever? Let's train ourselves to see that as God's grace to us. God's power at work here, now, in various ways, all of which are necessary. The same Spirit apportions to each one individually as He wills. Doesn't it encourage you to know that whatever it is you're good at, God says, I'm going to have you be good at that. He had, he had a plan. He had, he had a strategy. He says, administration over here and not great faith, but administration. And acts of mercy over here, not teaching, but acts of mercy And then over here, teaching, and not exhortation or something like that. There's strategy. Doesn't doesn't it encourage you to know God had a particular, specific plan for you and your makeup? The, The way that he intended to save you? The way that he wants salvation to be shown is specific to you. 
by his choice. That's encouraging, I think. That's how we should look at each other, as, as uniquely acted on by God. We have the privilege of encouraging the Ruths and the Boazes among us who are just doing their faithful thing. We have the privilege of calling it what it is. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. There's real danger in losing sight of that appreciation as we open ourselves to the more unusual or miraculous kinds of gifts, which we will do. We will open ourselves to that, but there's a danger in downgrading or unappreciating the things that are already happening that are genuinely spiritual. There are varieties of gifts, including ordinary ones, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. One more point. <clears throat> the ordinary gifts are for the good of the church. The ordinary gifts are for the good of the church. We talked about their variety, we talked about their source, but we haven't talked yet about what they're for. Verse 7 tells us what they're for. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. When the Spirit empowers you for something, it is for our common good, our collective good, our community good. It's for the good of the church. That means... That each, gives, that each gift that God gives, whether it's ordinary or unusual, addresses a real need that we have. And by extension, it addresses a real need that those who are coming into the church have. It's not just about this collected church, but it's about the church that is coming in, too. It's for their good. Each gift compensates for some lack that we have. And when that person exercises their gift, we are blessed. What we are missing in ourselves will be given to us through another person. I love the wisdom of God in that arrangement. It means that God has built in a relational component to getting our needs met. It means we need each other by design. By design, we are not independent, self-sufficient creatures. By design, we are interdependent creatures made in God's image. God has designed things so that we get what we need through other believers, not just directly from God ourselves. We can tend to think that we don't need other people, that we can do life on our own, but God has set things up so that what we lack is in somebody else's possession. And we have to go to them for it. He has designed in relationship, fellowship. He has designed the local church to be the place where we experience our common good. I always want to stop and notice those things because it's easy to be independent. I think especially in our culture, we're just... We're just told that that's the way it is. You know, that's where life is. You by yourself doing what you want to do. Don't let anybody get in your way. Right? That's our cultural message. God's message is completely different. He's saying, you know where joy is? You know where your good is? It's in the body. <laughs> it's by being a functioning member of it. God wants to bless us through community. But what does that blessing look like? What packages does it come in? Let's talk about these so-called ordinary gifts and how they're a blessing 
I'll just pick a few. Let's start with administrating, which is what Paul mentions in verse 28. We didn't read that. It's at the end of the chapter, though. What is administrating or gifts of administration? Why do we need that? Well, you know, it's a word that's only used one time in the Bible, so it's a little hard to nail down its exact definition. But it does carry the idea of guidance or directing something. Uh, One translation even has it have gifts of leadership. Maybe it's best to think of it this way. Administration is the ability to turn a vision into a reality. It's the ability to turn a vision into a reality. For example, we know that we need children's ministry because that is a way to teach the gospel to our kids at a level of their own development. But to actually pull off children's ministry requires someone who can figure out how many workers we need, coordinate their schedules, get them trained, have designated rooms and a security system and age-appropriate toys and supplies for crafts and all of that. Well, that's Jamie Santee. (laughs) She can do that. I can say, I think we need children's ministry, and then I don't know what to do after that. And she can say, I know how to get there. That's administration. That frees up Dan and I to focus on the Word of God in prayer. It frees up parents to listen to God's Word without divided attention. We all profit from this because God has given Jamie a gift of administration. It's for the common good. At this moment, you're thinking, I'm experiencing good, hopefully through teaching, but you're experiencing more than that. You're experiencing good through administration. They're all interrelated. I once heard a solo pastor say that if he could hire a second staff person, it wouldn't be an evangelist. It would be a church administrator. And I thought, hmm, that doesn't sound right. If I'm offered an evangelist and an administrator, I'm thinking, don't you just go for an evangelist every time? I mean, how else are you going to grow your church? <laughs> what, what, what ranks better than winning souls as far as impact on your church, right? And this guy said, no, I would choose the administrator. Why? Because this guy doesn't have the gift of administration, and he's completely bogged down in details that he's not equipped to handle, and his church is really having a hard time. So yeah, you can bring in more people, but then the problems keep getting bigger too, and he's going to sink someday, and then there won't be a church. So I think, oh, you know what? There's actually some wisdom in that. Guys without administrative gifts need administrators. Absolutely. God is no fool. He knows. (laughs) He'll give a pastor a couple gifts, but he's not going to give them all of them. You need other people too. (laughs) Bottom line, administration is no ordinary thing. God empowers it for the good of his church. What about the gift of helping? That's verse 28 again. God has appointed in the church helping. So what is that, and how is that for our common good? Well, that one's not rocket science. (laughs) God has appointed in the church those who are able to help because we need help. (laughs) We are all called to serve. We are all called to help. 
We're all called to be available to people in need. That's just Christ-likeness. But for some people, it's an unusual ability to recognize need and meet that need. So you can be in a conversation with somebody, um, and you know, you're between the lines hinting at things about what's going on in your life where you need something, and one guy can just go, I didn't, I didn't get that. But this helper person's like, oh, that person needs this. It's just like they're wired for it, and they're ready to do something about it. This is the guy that appears out of nowhere on a Saturday morning to mow a, 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 the lawn of a single mom. You know, Nobody told him you have to do this. Hey, everybody, we need somebody to go mow the lawn. Just knows she needs her lawn mowed. I've got a mower, and I'm going to go do it. This is the woman that drives the elderly to and from the grocery store cheerfully. <laughs> like, I want to do this. This is the person that always seems to notice when somebody's in need. Is that an important gift? Well, can you imagine what a church would be like if nobody was like that? (laughs) We would be just a bunch of self-focused people thinking about our own little worlds. But these people help us to remember that Jesus came into this world as a servant and sent the Holy Spirit, who is a helper, And so I'm going to give you concrete examples of what those things look like. I'm going to give you a concrete example of how God operates. And so that encourages us to get out of our shell and out of our me and me only zone and realize there's a world out there that God wants me to be involved with. And these helpers lead the way by their helping. They're not flashy, but they're doing real solid concrete good. They help us to take Christianity from being just an idea and a religion to a thing that you live and do. That's God's power. That's not ordinary. We could go through the list. We can talk about the common good of other gifts, like exhortation, Romans chapter 12. Exhortation is about telling people something that they probably don't want to hear, but they need to hear it. (laughs) But you're so good at it that they will actually listen to you instead of just get mad and walk away. (laughs) That's not a gift that I think most people really want, you know. I want to be the person that's always correcting people. (laughs) But you know what? We need correction, don't we? We actually need somebody to tell us what we don't want to hear. (laughs) Thank God that there's somebody in our life that's willing to say it (laughs) and not wait 20 years for your life to shipwreck on some point because nobody told you. Those aren't ordinary things. We could talk about others like utterance of wisdom, some debate about what that is. But at the very least, it involves applying the gospel to our real lives. Because 1 Corinthians 1, 24 says, Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is Christ coming into the world to save sinners. That is the gospel. And some people know how to take that idea, that reality, and it works its way out in real life. Like counseling a marriage. Um, getting involved in, in conflict. Figuring out what does that look like in the wor- workplace. Some people are good at translating what the gospel does in your actual experience. They can apply the wisdom of God to your life. And there's other ordinary gifts, supposedly ordinary gifts, but bottom line, they're not ordinary. God empowers them. 
and he empowers them to do extraordinary things. Let me close by bringing this together. The church is intended to be a unique place on earth. The Lord wants it to be a place where you can see Christ. That's why it's called the body of Christ. He wants it to be a place where you can see all sorts of people unified but different in a body with Jesus as the head, as the mastermind and the architect of this gathering. And that's what people are going to see and experience when we value and open ourselves to the full range of the Spirit's gifts because they're all necessary for that body to be whole. What we don't want as we encourage the pursuit of the more miraculous gifts is to start underappreciating what we already have. We don't want to make the mistake of thinking that when somebody finally gets healed on a Sunday morning, that now finally the Holy Spirit has showed up. (laughs) Because that's not true. Because He has showed up. First when you became a Christian, (laughs) and every day since then, (laughs) in the gifts that He's given to the church. What we don't want is to think, finally we're there. Finally we're experiencing God. We want to say, yes, thank you for these new things, but also thank you for these old things. Thank you for the stability that you've given us. Thank you for all the past faithfulness of people using their gifts to build this church. So we don't want to gravitate and shift our our attention to certain things. That's what the Corinthians were doing. That's why Paul had to write three chapters. Yeah, prophecy, tongues, miracles, healing, that's good stuff. I I get it. I get why you're excited about that. But also be excited about teaching and administrating and acts of mercy and exhortation and giving because that's also God. We don't ever want to come to a, or, or leave a morning like this and say, well, nothing really happened. There was, there was teaching. There was children's ministry. There was sound system. Yeah, but nothing really happened. <laughs> we don't want to start thinking like that. We want to have eyes to see God everywhere in his people, in his various ways. And I think we will by God's grace. So yes, we are going to pursue opening ourselves to more unusual or extraordinary, miraculous kinds of things, but they're really still in the same category. One spirit empowers them all. So as we go forward, we talk about the more unusual stuff, which is the next thing we'll be doing. We don't want to lose that foundation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're so kind that you you don't just uh, sprinkle a couple of abilities to a few people and leave it at that. You give everybody a manifestation of the Spirit. Everybody in whom is the Spirit, you give things that are observable about that and that we all need. Thank you for investing in us that kind of significance that kind of importance. You haven't overlooked anybody here who knows you. We thank you for that. And we just ask that you would give us more. You have more things that we haven't experienced much of, but you say they're available, so we are going to eagerly desire that. 
But Lord, help us also to be glad at how you've already built, how you've already apportioned each one as you will. Thank you for being our, our God and our Father. In Jesus' name, amen.